So a few weeks ago, Josh came up to me, our, our, our teaching minister, Josh, and said, Mitch, would you like to not have to wear your mask for at least half of the worship service? And I was like, yes. Is that a thing we can do? And he was like, sure. You can exercise your mask-free opportunity while preaching on September 6th. And I said, all right, here we are. But that, that's not exactly how that interaction happened. But here's something that is true. Today we are starting a new series. We're jumping back into Philippians chapter 4 to talk about this topic, Anxious for Nothing. Now, you don't need someone standing up here with a microphone to tell you that we are going through times that are stressful and anxiety-producing. I think we all are very aware of that. But we do hope that as we jump back into Philippians, starting in chapter 4, and talking about these things, we're hoping we can find some wisdom, find some insight, maybe find some answers, and how all of us can do a better job dealing with the problems of life by developing a Christ-centered mentality. So, let's jump into this. I want to read from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends, whose names are written, whose names are in the book of life. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share a message on these words from Paul and several other scriptures we'll look into later. I pray that you give me the gift of preaching today so that I can communicate these words in a way that honors you and glorifies you above all things, certainly above myself. Lord, we thank you for this communion of saints, this fellowship of believers that we get to share with in person and online and throughout the world. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to be transparent with you right off the bat. When you read this, you know, off the surface, this passage, it seems to be about a spat between two quarreling women. And about the only thing I know regarding dealing with quarreling women is that I need to get away from that situation as fast as possible. (laughs) That's probably not very mature on my part, but that's just kind of how I would deal with it. And yet, I think it's not hard to see that these three verses are actually about a lot more than just two people who are griping at each other. They're about something that plagues all of us. And that causes an enormous amount of stress and anxiety in our lives. And that thing is interpersonal conflict. As many of you know, such conflict can be crippling not only to the two people involved, or multiple people, but to the entire community that surrounds them. Just like it was for the church in Philippi 2,000 years ago. So I'll tell you a story. So back in college, this would be 2003, long time ago, me and my freshman year roommate, his name was Cliff, uh, were roommates for freshman year. And we were buddies beforehand. We had grown up, uh, certainly through like late middle school and all of high school, we were at the same school, at the same church, had the same peer group. We were both athletes. He played, he was a wrestler. I was a football player. We had a lot of things in common, really got along well. We would definitely consider each other among our best friends. So we thought, both going to ACU, Abilene Christian University, why not be roommates freshman year. What could possibly go wrong with such a plan? And honestly, it it was great. But every now and then, things would flare up a bit between me and old Cliff. Because part of our 
part of our love for each other was that we loved to pester one another, like good friends do. And we were constantly looking for ways to push each other's buttons. And as you know, if you have been to college or spent any time in such an environment, when you are basically in a prison cell of a dormitory that is about as big as you putting your hands out with two people for a very, very long amount of time, things can kind of come to the surface and uh, tensions can rise and stress can reach a boiling point every now and then, especially when two good friends who know how to push each other's buttons do so on purpose. And so that was kind of the context of me and Cliff's relationship. And, And as we went along, again, overall, it was wonderful. But every now and then, like this moment, we would, one of the things we would do was intentionally invade each other's personal space because both of us didn't really like that and we knew that and so we would do it on purpose to each other. So for instance, I would often be sitting at my computer, which is at my desk and I had a, we had like our small little mini fridge was on top of the desk right next to my computer. Probably a terrible place, whatever. So he would come over and grab either a gallon of milk or a jug of water to fill up his little cup, but he would do it literally standing over me while I'm working just to annoy me. And it worked every time. But there was one time, and I, I, of course, would do the exact same types of things to him. But one time I remember, I, I don't know if I was just particularly just done with, the, with life on that day, but he came over and he was doing a very, very similar thing. And I remember I just pushed him away from me. Now, I was a football, ex-football player guy, so like I probably pushed him harder than I ought to have. But he was a wrestler, former wrestler. And so as I push him, he grabs me. And now we're both standing, like locked together. And that, of course devolved very rapidly into a push-pull struggling moment where we're literally like wrapped up and just like moving all around the room starting to smash into stuff and we hadn't like quite gotten to the ground yet but that's where it was going okay it was it was ridiculous if you'd seen it you would have thought we were apes or something so as we're like moving around the room with our struggle we bump into a desk and knock a lamp over it crashes to the ground and makes a big loud noise So in that moment, as we're locked in mortal combat, you know, the thing crashes, the noise happens, and we just freeze. And I don't remember if it was him or if it was me, but one of us said, we've got to stop. And so (laughs) as as hard as it was, we just kind of released the energy and both stepped back and then spent like the next hour just cooling off. And I'm glad we did because we could have done some major damage inside of our room and probably to each other as well. But what we realized in that moment was that when two people are in conflict, something's going to get broke. I know that's terrible grammar. That's just how I'm going to say it. When people are in conflict, something's going to get broke. It could have been the lamp. I think the lamp was okay, but it could have been something worse. And more so than an object, things that can get broken are relationships. And we've all experienced this to some degree or another, but when we have conflict with something, something's going to get broken. It could easily be our relationship with that person. We were fortunate that we had enough mental capacity, despite our testosterone and our rage or whatever, you know, to like just back off of each other. But it could have been so much worse. It could, that was the almost fight that me and Cliff had. It could have been so much worse. But here's the thing. When you let conflict engulf a relationship, something's going to get broke. Which is why the main point of today's lesson is this. Unity matters to God. Let's get more specific. Unity matters to the mission of God. I want to read from John 17. This is a passage of, of Jesus's where he is, this is, the night, this is the night of his arrest, right? So he is in the garden, he's praying. And in John 17, he prays basically three major prayers, one for himself, 
One for his disciples that are there kind of going through all this with him. And then one for future disciples, which includes you and I. So here's what he says. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples that are with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is saying these words that have been passed down to us to help us understand that unity is part of the mission of God. He wants us to know that the world will know and believe because of our unity. Our unity and our love for one another is one of the primary ways that the unbelieving world will come to know the gospel. So how are we doing on that? Is this one of those things that we as a church body do well? Or is this one of those things that's probably a major struggle point for us globally? I would probably lean towards the latter. But even just localize it for yourself or for this congregation. Like, do we we exude unity in the world? If we don't, then I think we're actually showing people that they don't want to know and that they don't need to believe our message. However, if we are able to get to the point where unity is a defining characteristic of the people of God, then they will start to see, there's something that y'all know that I want to know. There's something that you believe that, that maybe I want to believe as well, because unity is part of the mission of God. But unity also matters to the heart. And this is more where we get directed into the the idea of reducing stress and anxiety personally. I want to read from Romans chapter 12. And as we do this, I want you guys to be thinking of which words that are being spoken by Paul again here are describing a healthy, Jesus-centered heart. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And I put together kind of a summarizing chart to kind of show all of these heart-healthy, healthy heart characteristics, right? So because unity matters to the heart, here's, here's how it affects you, and here's how you can affect others by the devotion that we have to one another in love, honoring one another, being zealous or being like overcome with passion for serving other people, being joyful, being patient, being faithful, being generous, hospitable, when we break down walls between each other rather than build them up. Don't look too much into that. When we express empathy through others' joy and others' sadness, when we have harmony with one another, when we have humility. These are the kinds of things that define a person whose heart is healthy within Christ. Because unity matters to the heart. These, these are the benefits that we receive, but these are also the benefits that we can extend towards others. And it all works towards bringing unity, which is a wonderful, beautiful thing. But what happens in the contrast to this. 
What happens if you let disunity reign between you and another person? It's basically the opposite of this list, right? You're not devoted to each other in love when you're fighting. You're not honoring one another. You're probably doing the opposite and tearing them down. And yes, this can happen in person in a physical altercation like what I was talking about with Cliff, but that's not normally what happens. Normally, it's a war of words, And most of those are spoken behind each other's backs or nowadays, increasingly, on social media. We're not serving one another when we're ununified. We're not joyful. We're the opposite of that. We're not being patient. We're not being faithful. You can go down this list and see that when we're not unified, we don't receive the benefits of this. We receive the the opposite, which is like being cursed by it. And that's not what God desires for us. It's not good for us. And it doesn't help anybody. I want to revisit the the fight with Cliff. What did we realize? We realized that if we didn't step back from this moment, if we didn't release our our need to be the dominant one in that that relationship at that time, then we were going to break something. It could have been a lamp. It could have just as easily been a friendship. So, what do you do? What do you do to make this better? Unity requires you to sacrifice... And step back from your pride. Guys, this is so hard. So hard. I don't want to minimize it by having it in some bite-sized little sentence. It's so hard, and you know this. Any of you that have lived more than a, a few years of life know how hard it is to step back, to release that, that sense of, oh, I have to be right, or I have to win this, or I have to express my dominance over you. Like, it's so hard because we're almost wired to want to be the one in control. And yet, when we look to the words we've read so far, and we're about to look at Ephesians chapter 4, like there's this constant calling in the gospel for you to give those things up for the sake of being unified. So it's hard, but it can be done and we're called to it. So let's see what, again, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 here. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Humble, gentle, patient, bear with one another, keeping unity. Those things are not about you. Because when you sacrifice and step back from your pride, you're realizing that it's not about me. It's not about you in that moment. It's about the other person. It's about needs beyond your own. That's not how this section ends that I wanted to read. Let's keep going. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's not about you, but it is about Jesus. That's what unity is ultimately about, and that needs to be what the driving force is in our desire to become unified, to honor God, to do the things Jesus has asked us to do. Because we've been promised that when those things happen... Life is better for everybody. I know it's hard. I cannot repeat that enough. So I want to ask all of you, and this is, this is for myself certainly, we need to pray that God will give us the wisdom to know when to step back and the strength to do so. It's hard, especially depending on your personality. It's hard, but that's what God calls us to do. So another thing, sometimes you need to engage and step up to do the hard work of reconciliation. 
Yeah, it's so easy to ignore this part, right? Because most of, I think a lot of us probably don't desire to be in conflict with other people. Uh, I joked earlier in the first service that I'm an Enneagram 9, which means I don't really love conflict. I'm kind of the opposite of that. Many of you are the same way. Even those of you that don't shy from conflict, you don't want it normally. So it's easy for us as humans to want to shove things underneath the rug and just hope that maybe if we ignore it, it will go away. And sometimes maybe that can happen, but you know. You know that normally what happens is that those kind of things smolder. And they can just kind of burn at a low level. And then eventually, because they're unresolved, they may roar back into it a disruptive fire that can consume you once again. And as you also probably know, unresolved conflict nearly always affects other people beyond just you and the person or persons you're having conflict with. Uh, a couple days ago, I talked to my buddy Keith, who's a fireman, and I was asking him to help me with this illustration. And I said, Keith, when you're fighting a fire, when the firemen are out there putting out a structure fire, a house, and there's a lot of other stuff in, in proximity to the burning building, do you just let the building burn? Like, what do you do? And he's like, no, man, you can't just let that thing burn and not take care of the things around it, because those things will catch fire. And so when they get there, they're spraying everything down, right? Because they want to make sure that, that, the, that the thing that's exposed to a fire risk doesn't become consumed by the flames that are destroying the main fire. It's the exact same idea with our relationships, y'all. If you are near a burning relationship, there is a very good chance you're going to get sucked into that in a negative way. And you're going to get asked to pick a side, or you're going to ask to get involved in a way that is not helpful, or you might just instinctively feel the need to do that, and then you get burned, and then someone else next to you gets burned, and it's just so destructive when we don't allow ourselves to do the hard work of reconciliation. So whether you are the one that's in need of reconciliation, or if you want to help others resolve conflict in a healthy, positive way, Let's see if we can find some additional wisdom about this. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and see what he has to say. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Humble has popped up a lot of times today. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Man, these are things that you do, right? I just got done telling, telling all of us, right, that it's not about you, but guess what? It does start with you. It, reconciliation starts with you. It has to be a choice that you make. You can't just assume the other person's going to take care of it on your behalf. It doesn't work like that. So when you look back at these verses, right, extending sympathy to someone, showing them love, being compassionate, humbling yourself, repaying evil done to you, not with other evil or insult, but with blessing... Those are actions that you take because you know that unity is the mission of God and that unity matters to your heart as well. That's why you have to jump in there in some way, engage, step up, do the hard work of reconciliation. And just like the last point, this is not easy. And it's so easy to mess it up too. Because if we want to get involved, like often our motivations can be good if it's not us that's directly involved in the conflict, but we can so easily get in there and just, just catch fire ourselves and make a mess. So you've got to approach this with humility and not like you have all the answers and that you are the expert. Let's see how Paul does this by revisiting our passage from Philippians from earlier. So this is verse 2 and 3. I plead with Yodia 
And I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I ask you, my true companion, to help these women. So plead with and help these women. What Paul is doing right now is he is saying, ladies, you need to step up and engage each other in a healthy, respectful way to resolve this conflict. And he's also referencing this companion. We don't know exactly who this person is. There's scholarly speculation on who it is. It doesn't really matter. The point is, there's somebody that's there that is knowledgeable about the situation, that is present, that probably feels somewhat stuck in the middle. And Paul is saying to them, because Paul's not there. He's writing to them from afar, but it was so bad, he's heard about it. And he's saying, hey, ladies, y'all need to work this out, and I'm going to get somebody in this to help you. He's saying someone needs to step up and engage and help bring resolution to this moment. But he goes on, he says, He's reminding them now. He says, these women, they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. And along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. What Paul's trying to do here is remind these ladies, remind the companion, remind the rest of the church in Philippi that we are on the same team. We're part of the same church, the same family, the same mission. And we need to not be destroying each other. So he, he tells them, he's like, ladies, y'all have been working hard with me to spread the gospel in Philippi. Do you not remember? (laughs) He says, you know, they've continued at my side. You know, all of these people here, he calls them co-workers. We're pals in this mission. And he says, don't forget, your names are written in the book of life. We're on the same team. Our side has won. So let's not have infighting amongst each other. I I love the fact that he tries to bring somebody else in who's there on the spot because he knows that, yes, they do need to step back, but they also need to step in. But sometimes you got to bring somebody else in to help bring unity. So I want to ask you guys to reflect on this personally. Who are you in this scenario? Do you you associate most with... The Yodia and Syntyche dynamic here. Are you someone that at this moment is consumed by conflict with somebody else? Maybe you are. We certainly have all been this person at one point or not. I'm not this person right now, but I I could be tomorrow. (laughs) You never know what's going to happen, right? Or are you the companion? Perhaps you feel stuck in the middle or perhaps you feel like, man, I got to do something because these two are burning down and they need someone to come put the fire out. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in the middle of some conflict and that you're that exposure risk and you're going to catch fire if something doesn't change. Or maybe you're a bit more at a distance a distance, and you feel like you're like Paul, and you're on the outside looking in. You have some wisdom to offer, but you're not right there. So you're just kind of like saying, you're pleading with somebody, please come to a point of unity. Whoever you associate with right now in this moment, you do have to ask the question, what is your next move? Is this the time for you to step up and sacrifice some pride? which is so hard. I'll repeat that. I realize that. It's so hard, but so necessary. Or are you in the position right now where you need to step up, either in the conflict you are experiencing or someone coming in to help bring resolution to two people? Do you need to step back and make a sacrifice? Do you need to step up and engage with other people? 
Only you can answer that because only you know what's, knows what's going on in your own life. But please consider that question. And what is your role to play? Maybe even when you leave this room, maybe you need to deal with something. But don't just ignore it. Don't just wait. Because if you're living with stress and anxiety right now, don't make the mistake of thinking your problems are just going to go away if you ignore them. If you are causing stress and anxiety right now for others because of a conflict that you have created, the time has come for unity. Is reconciliation hard? Yes. Is it important? Yes. Let's read this from Matthew chapter 5. This is another saying, uh, another teaching of Jesus. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're worshiping, and there you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, conflict, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus is basically reminding us that taking the communion, being at worship, that is almost secondary to living in unity with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because how can you truly worship God when you're not in love with the people around you as well? I think that's kind of what he's saying. I know it's a bold statement to make, but I think that's what he's telling us to do. We've got to check our relationships Because they affect our relationship to God. It's like a direct correlation. So, is reconciliation hard? Yes. Does it require sacrificing some of your pride? Yes. Does it require you taking the awkward first step towards a resolution? Yes. So why do it? Why go to all the work? All the trouble, all the struggle. Yeah, it can kind of cause some extra anxiety when you decide to get involved in something like this. When you, when you realize, okay, I got to do something. I got to help build the bridge back between me and this person. It can create some difficulty for you in the short term, but you're looking at it with a long-term perspective. Unity is the long game, y'all. It's not a short-term fix. It's the long game. And when we move towards unity with other people, everything in life really does get better. Because it matters to God's mission, it also matters to our hearts. So, it matters to God, it needs to matter to us.